Welcome to What Makes a Garden. My name's Ginny Blom and I'm a landscape gardener and writer. I released my first book, The Thoughtful Gardener, in 2017. My second book, What Makes a Garden, will be published in October 2023. For over 20 years, I've been making gardens for a living. I've been lucky enough to work on projects all around the world, collaborating with fascinating people across the fields of design, architecture, conservation and more. While we will discuss the practical matters that go behind creating and looking after a green space, this series is about much more than that. We'll delve into what it is that inspires us to work with plants, what it is that connects us to the land, and the complex constellation of ideas, experiences, thoughts and senses that make a garden. My guest this episode is my old friend, the eminent historic buildings architect, Ptolemy Dean. Ptolemy's eponymous practice specialises in conservation work to historic buildings. He is the surveyor of the fabric of Westminster Abbey, work that earned him his OBE, and was a great personal favourite of Her Majesty the Queen. We've worked together on many projects over the years, restoring and advancing with new ingredients the vernacular buildings of the British Isles. Our friendship goes back 20 years or so and is unshakable. I'm so pleased that he could join me for this episode of What Makes a Garden. Hello, Ptolemy. Thank you so much for getting here from your appointment in Maidstone with such alacrity. Thank you. The train journey was ponderous. But nevertheless, train journeys hold the key, don't they? They do. To our world, our world of endlessly travelling around from one site to another, from one dreary contractor meeting to another, <laughs> from one slightly tricky client perhaps to another. From porter cabin to porter cabin. I know. You via are. the M40. Indeed. Yeah. And you're so dashing in high vis, Dane Bond. <laughs> Thank you so much. I may much. say. But there is a serious point, isn't there, about our peripatetic lives. The fact that we have this incredible privilege, don't we, that we... We are paid by people to to look at things that we would actually rather like to look in look at, you know, on a Sunday morning. Yes, and and, and to make them complete. I think that's where we join up, isn't it? Our, our relationship really came with something that was mangled, something very beautiful that was mangled and had a big story of discovery attached to it. To mend the broken. Yeah. And it's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? Because we, I mean, a lot of people, I think, sit in offices and they don't, you know, they don't get that, that amazing moment of arriving at a site for the first time and immediately seeing and feeling that there is something there that is uh, usually ancient, connected mm. to something. Mm. Um, I mean, I always just have to draw them, I'm afraid. It's a frightful bore for everybody else. I have to wait. But uh, I do find that drawing and looking process is... I do remember one of our mutual and very grand clients complaining bitterly to me that she had had to stand protecting women pushing pushchairs and prams down the rainy streets of High Wycombe from being hit by buses while you stood like a stentorian, in a stentorian manner, drawing and you wouldn't budge. And she said... It was effing unbelievable. People were having to get off the pavement and oh walk gosh. rounding. And I said, well, it's that so is rather... <laughs> uh, yes, it was West Wickham, in fact. Oh, was uh, it? I West beg your Wickham, pardon. which has got the most beautiful um, coloured paintwork windows. 
And what I was trying to uh, demonstrate to our said client um, before I was to- totally overwhelmed with the whole delight of it all and unfortunately <laughs> fatally started drawing was, you know, could we have windows that weren't just brilliant white? Mm. And could we have railings that weren't just painted horrible, gloopy gloss black? And could we just mm. see and understand how the colour palette of these older places mm-hmm. is so totally different from mm-hmm. the rather bleak, unimaginative palette of now, basically? Well, when we met, and I can't actually quite remember how or when it happened, I just I just thought, thank God for that, because oh. at last I've got somebody that I can communicate with. And I was aware that you were extremely, as you are, august, serious, historic buildings architect with an awful lot of academic background and an awful lot of learning, and I have absolutely none. And yet somehow I could communicate with you so easily about these buildings. And when we first went up to the one in the Cotswolds that has become so popular... Um, it was fascinating because I could I, I could finally sort of articulate. Uh, look, there's something missing here. That's not right. This isn't right. And do you remember when we we realised the house sort of simultaneously? The house had been sawn in half, oh. and we went. And you're much braver than I am because I'm was brought up to be a snivelling little apologist and and do as I was told. But do you remember when we broke into the back of the neighbour's house and discovered that deserted village, which was the rest um, of the <laughs> well, I mean, the rest know, of the missing the, village. I mean, on on the thing about uh, the you know falling upon each other. I mean, we are basically you and I the same as we were when we were children. Yeah, we are. I'm just a little boy, and you're just a little girl. Yeah, indeed. And we went <laughs> off to this place, and we thought we'd have a bit of fun, a bit of an adventure. Yeah. We came to this said place in uh, in the Cotswolds you described. And I remember it vividly. It had been half, great chunks of it had been sold off and converted in the 1980s, glistening V-Lux roof lights in concrete stone yeah. tiles, asphalt driveways, yes. and a sort of hideous hinterland of swaying grasses and sort of <laughs> closed boarded fences. And and we were let loose, were we not, to, to, to realise and to see that there was something beyond that. Mm. And so from my point of view, was, of course, I don't know, anything about landscape particularly I mean I could feel the denuded spaces but you understood the landscape yeah as I could look at those sorry buildings and feel sad about the cement mortar and the hideous yeah. windows and the ghastly sort of pine treacly brown colored yeah. doors and you understood about the sense of the integration of these buildings with the landscape and I think as an architect it's it's uh, the dimension of the landscape, the relationship of the building with the inside and the outside is absolutely key and fundamental. But I, I don't have that ability within me to be the landscape architect. I have to look to you. No, and I can't be the architect, but I do know when things are missing. I do know when it doesn't feel correctly weighted. And I, I think being able to, because you aren't pompous, I could, and we liked each other, I could articulate these things very clearly to you and say it's a bit like if you're a singer in a band, nobody gives you the time of day. The musicians all think you're an idiot and, and that you can't sing in key and everything. And I, I carry that with me into the landscaping in dealing with the architect. So the architect is the, the maker of the, you know, the big thing. Um, and you, you really helped me change that 
access back to how it used to be, which is where there was a complicity between the landscape architect and the architect of how you use the land and how you place the buildings. And in studying how old and vernacular buildings were put together, together, because your interest really is in massing and roof lines and textures and colours, which is very much what mine is. I don't think either of us really give a tinker's cuss about what's going on inside. Am I correct? <laughs> well, well <laughs> you know, uh, not the taps anyway. No, well, I mean... But, <laughs> or or but, possibly but, the curtains because they affect outside. But this but, this sort of relationship of what the landscape is doing, how it's rising up and containing the buildings and setting them. It's the setting, it, isn't it? it? It's also to do with authenticity. And I do think that in your own childhood and, and possibly mine, in the many, many long hours, we've talked about this in the M40 and all those other roads, <laughs> on our long visits to site and looking at things, we've always, always rejoiced in seeing authenticity, clusters yeah. of farm buildings that haven't been wrecked, old yeah. farmhouses sitting in their landscapes of their drifting rose gardens laid out by the farmer's wife in the 1930s. Yeah. You've always had a sort of feeling for those things, the sort of decomposing tractor in a hedgerow, the sort of qualities of <laughs> paths of, you know, some of this in your book actually, you know, the sort of the authenticity that makes things real as opposed to the sort of rather awful artificiality that um, mm. quite often we are initially called upon to produce but which we wrote back on. And the great thing about, I mean, you, the, the so-called academic thing is that, is, that, is that I don't know of any other profession other than architecture and possibly its associated uh, functions where you go into it, or a doctor, imagine a doctor, and you saw the doctor and you said to him, oh, I've got a headache. And he just suddenly said, okay, well, I'll give you, I'll give you this or I'll give you that. Mm. No doctor would do that. They'd say, I'd like to look at your case notes, please. Yeah. And for us, we've... We've always had this joy of looking at the case notes, which could yeah. be the old first edition OS map, the early maps, the sort of archaeology of the site. And then you realise what it was yeah. that made that place like it was, yeah. why it is that it had authenticity, what it was that it had done. And actually even the recent history of change, the sort of awful interventions, the sort of hideous flat roof parts that we had to take away. Um, you know, all of that informs... Yes. And illustrates a, yes. a sort of diagnosis of what to do with some of these yeah. places, which is just not possible when you just fire from the hip no. without any kind of and academic. A lot of what we're, we're looking at comes from a point where, where people were taking a path of least resistance because I mention it in the book. You know, they didn't have machinery, they didn't have, you needed your body for other things. So, you know, that there would be certain bodies who would be doing woodwork or certain bodies doing stonework, but on collectively and certainly in vernacular buildings, there wouldn't be a huge, vast quantity of people with machines and fast moving cars who would be putting those things together. So everything that happens there is drawn from a very small circumference of, of space, literally, and energy and efficiency and that in turn allowed a sort of beauty to come through in the in the thought because if you're slower moving which is what you and I actually strive to do is to spend time sort of going back into things not it, it's funny because if you say historic buildings it sounds like you're just going to be turning out georgian mansionettes for the very wealthy in nice parts of the country 
but that's not really what it is, is it? It's no, much it's, more. It's f- not. But your book, in the, your book, in does, the feeling of the ground beneath our feet. But your really. book does go into this because it it does does remind us all that people did indeed live their lives in in the orbit of their locality. They knew every inch of every tree. They knew they knew everything about the passage of time. They understood the seasons. They knew when to do things in the year and when not to do things in the year. They understand. I mean, there are marvelous chapters in your book about things that we call weeds, which actually are rather wonderful things, which, you know, people made use of in the past. And I do think that actually um, the whole thing was standing on the, you know, the edge of West Wickham High Street with the grumpy client making her stand and listen to the place and watch the passage of time and see the light and shade move across those buildings. Um, she clearly remembers it if she's reminded you of it. Um, no, she did remind me quite a while ago, okay. to, be, to be fair. Well, she yeah. may well re <laughs> I just never it. forgot it. She may never forget it either. But but the point is that we do, <laughs> I think it's it's such a privilege, as I said at the beginning, that we, we are able to do what we do, that yes, we are I able agree. to do, and people pay us to do it. Yeah, I agree. And the, the right people find us to do it. That's the other thing that I always find miraculous, because I'm not sure you have... Uh, you know, the, the, the difficulty, Ptolemy, is you have absolutely no internet presence. You are not on Instagram. Do you know what that means these days? I know. This you is, barely uh, exist. I know. This you is know? my very, very and, first appearance on a podcast. <laughs> and um, therefore, and I, and, and I don't think I have a particularly well-developed presence in the outside world. Obviously, a book makes you a little bit better known, but... People find us, and I don't advertise, you don't advertise, but people find us. So, you know, at the moment, we're working on those fantastic barns, and that is such a, that's such a perfect project for us, you know, that the, yeah, to, to renovate a barn, to, to consider that you're one minute you're doing Westminster Abbey, people might think you might not want to look at a renovating uh, uh, yes. a Kentish barn but knowing you as I do I knew that you would love to do it and um, actually we started with that tiny little buyer which I is know. the smallest thing that anybody else would have Smaller come in than and this room tiny and anyone else would have come in and bulldozed it or it's knocked it down it's fundamental to the framework and indeed yeah. it's the clue to the entire yeah. scheme yeah isn't it behind it of course were all those lovely long lost barns and we could just describe all of that and even the local authority People would just be lost in the romance of it all. Yes, and it's just standing there, listening to the wind and the trees, and thinking about those lost barns and that lifestyle of Kent that has been completely swept away by electric gates and swooshing German cars down the road, (laughs) and the whole thing completely forgotten. And on this question of uh, being on the internet or being self-promotion thing. I mean, I was always brought up uh, firmly not to, you know, ever, ever suggest that anything one ever did had any kind of success, value to it at all. No. And therefore, when you even mentioned I could feel a recoil in my lower legs, as you suggest, you know, (laughs) any kind of form of self-publicity, which is... frowned upon and seen as vulgar in my childhood and I can't get over it it's like you're not allowed to really talk about money either you know it's like (sighs) talking about money I know my mother once said to me I said look I've had an article published and there was this silence followed by a deep and worrying intake of breath and she said well you're very self-regarding aren't you that's it that's it 
I thought, oh. Self-regarding. Self-regarding. Goodness me. Damnation <laughs> through, through. Help. Where, where do you go when your mother says that? Self-regarding. I think you take yourself away to a corner and you think very hard about yourself. Self-regarding. <laughs> Self-regarding. In other words, you've pulled the wool over somebody's eyes because you're obviously a fraud. Yeah. You've got no, there's no credit to you at all, and well, I. It's and it's very, it's very useful because if you absolutely have no self confidence whatsoever, you've got nothing left to lose. There's, no, so. no, there's nothing, to, there's nothing to lose, and I mean, as so far as people being rude to you on building sites and in planning offices, I mean, you know, yeah. it's an amazing thing that we have, which is that you know we do all this training, we spend hours looking at these wretched things, we go and meet a, a planning officer or a, or a well-meaning conservation officer. <laughs> And and they they speak to you or write to you, you know, as if you really don't know anything at all. No. And there's nothing like uh, the destructive, morale-destroying qualities of an English prep school to train you up for dealing with <laughs> those sorts of people. I've never, ever, ever been uh, matched or any of those awful people that I went, you know, taught me when I was age seven onwards. None of their vicious vitriol has ever been matched by any of these sea pine planning officers and conservation officers. And I do think it's rather amusing that actually it is quite good as a sort of uh, learning rote, so rota, if you like, for what we do to have yeah. had that sort of slightly crushing experience as a child, whether it be from your mother, and yeah. her charming remark yeah. to you, mm. or from all those sort of prep schools where, you know, you were going nowhere but downhill, you had no ability, you were never going to do this, you were never going to do that, you were completely useless. You know, and it's actually quite a good check. Yeah. But the legacy of it for me is that I, 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 I'm, I'm not good on the self-publicity. You will not find me. No, it's not Having a comfortable. A- it's not a comfortable thing, which is why I wanted to do these. Actually, these conversations, because in fact, it's much nicer to have a conversation as a legacy of what we do than anything else. You know, because that's what we do. We we spend it, it, our time com- communicating in quite a lot of detail about things that we care about. And I do remember in the early period of our knowing each other, because it has been a while now. We'd Since have the these... last century, my oh, dear. Oh, was that? Oh, that yes, when you were in the last century. <laughs> well, I can barely remember back. <laughs> no, I'm sure you can't. Um, and, uh, before they even built the M40, I think. Before we had mobile phones. Telephones, certainly <laughs> not. Um, we'd get into heightened emotional states with each other, which I thought, oh, God, we're having a row and I'm so terrified of having rows. And then I'd realised we weren't having a row. We were having a very impassioned discussion in which we were both agreeing. Uh, but it would take quite a while for the, our no, energy to sort of passionate debate. Gripping the pen <laughs> and drawing on the plan, snatching the pencil yeah. back and drawing something else. And then another road in there. Yeah. And then no, that line no, should be a tree. Wrong. No, that building's in no, the wrong place. You've moved it too far away. It's got to be closer. You're, and I'm saying, no, no, no. Remember the first edition OS map. <laughs> Think of that authenticity. And you say, no, well, I've got to know you know. Yeah. We but get that's there. the joy of it, and you know. But actually, we very rarely disagreed. I, that's what I came to realise that we're, through all that impassioned pen snatching and scribbling, we never disagreed. We never disagreed. We've never disagreed we? on any complete. <laughs> no, all those so, projects are, so are all, the fruit of the agreements of that. Yeah. But don't say it's going to be an easy run because no, I'm not going to sit here and let you just tell me what to do, and I don't think no. you're going to let me tell you what to do. No. So I mean, that's the joy of 
you know, having a bit of, you know, spark because that's, yeah. that goes back again to your point about the landscape architect being seen as a sort of, you know, behind the sort of wafting cloak of the architect. We have none of that here. Yeah. You're, you know, it's an integral partnership. It's a collaboration and it has to be that because yeah. I can't, I can't recall your sensibilities any more than you probably can recall mine. We no. have to come together and we have to mesh and mould these things. And this whole thing that, that buildings are sort of objects which are just placed on the landscape and then the landscape architect comes along and dresses up afterwards and then you get some terrible thing called a heritage consultant who then writes <laughs> some kind of historical piece that sort of tries to justify what you've done in terms of heritage. I mean, all of this disconnect is that's, totally and utterly nonsensical. Yes, that's These a things very good are point. integral and they are fundamental and yeah. they're necessary at the very, very outset. The first visit when you're standing there quivering in the rain with a sketchbook, hoping that the pages aren't going to get soggy and wet, wading through the nettles, <laughs> ripping your trousers on the brambles, going into all those horrible sort of decrepit looking buildings and yeah. discovering that in fact there's an ancient limestone wall in the middle of one of them. And that in fact at the heart of it is something ancient and truly magical and marvellous, which no one has seen before and everybody had previously written out. Those are the moments where we completely rewrite what we've been asked to do, where we totally turn on the head all the conventions about where we should and shouldn't go. And that's where the excitement and creativity comes. It is, because I think the other thing about being historic buildings, it immediately conjures up the idea that you can't innovate. Nonsense. Nonsense, is. isn't it? And that's where the heritage consultant element, no disrespect to any of the lovely people... You haven't people, described the significance but, of that structure and, and the then, harm you're going to cause to it. Well, or one recently, you wouldn't have, they wouldn't have had... They wouldn't have had winding paths. They would all have been straight. And I said, no, but now we're living in... 2023 and we can justify and innovate in this not particularly remarkable place just because it's I will listed never forget. you know we can innovate and you you've innovated on some of the most important buildings in the country because you understand it and you know how far but you, you need, can take it and how how to lift that into something which is needed that's now. what we need to do i will never forget uh the district council which deserves to be named in west oxfordshire Really? Where we waited for, um, <laughs> we waited for a month and a half or two months to have a pre-application meeting with a conservation officer and a planning officer. We then waited a further three months to have them write their letter, and they clearly passed it up to the line manager. And they looked at the thing on paper and said, oh, you can't possibly do this to this house. You can't make the front door where the back door used to be. You can't make the sort of south garden come up to the south front of the house and make it enjoyable. You've got to sort of just keep it all as it is because that's what we've been taught to do at, at, at college. And, you know, there was nothing more dispiriting than, than you know, having, having that kind of treatment. It's yeah. the worst. That was the worst. That's really I think has that's been where... the worst instance yes. of my time and actually the sorrow that terrible yeah. that terrible awful moment in west yeah. oxfordshire where that terrible conservation officer who was too impolite to come on time uh, and to correspond in time um s destroyed that project yeah. i mean that that's yeah. the one it's grief true. i'm afraid I, you know and it, it, and they it's sting a shameful they sting the only instant, actually yeah. it's the only one yeah. in all of my career yeah. where i've had something as bad as that but yeah. my goodness me I mean, what's the negotiation process like for something like Westminster Abbey? Because you've done a lot of new things there, haven't you? I mean, do, it, 
Well, we're, is we're, it just we're years? So, is it years and years and years no, of it, debate or all, not? It's always the same. It's always the same with these things. We don't. I don't. We don't really have planning consultants very much, right? Because they get in the way between you and yeah. the officer. The perfect thing is if you get the officer, and if it's a high-grade building like Westminster, you have historic England as well. You get them together, and you just directly talk to them about what it is you yeah. want to do at a at an early stage, and you make them bring them into the conversation, allow them to make suggestions and observations and comments and make them a part of it, make Im- implicate them. And that's what didn't happen at West Oxfordshire because they wouldn't, they wouldn't mm. engage with that. But in somewhere like Westminster, where we've got very articulate and highly skilled planning and conservation people, we've had a really, very, really good time with them. Yeah. The better, the higher, and it's an irony, but the higher listed the building, the better quality of the people you meet to talk about them. Yes, I'm sure. And the more likely you are to to, to come out with a decent scheme because they recognise yeah. and realise the sort of thought and argument that you might make about its historical, well, it- wider historical evolution. I have always been a great admirer, though, of your ability to put a, an argument together and deliver it forcefully, clearly, and thoroughly. And I think you've taught me that. That's where the confidence grows, is that if you really know your onions, if you really know them, then it's very easy to... You can take all the sting out of everything you're trying to say because you're not trying to force people to do something antipathetic. They will come to enjoy what you're talking about because it's coming from a place of thorough well, thorough understanding. Yeah. I won't even say research, although that's part of it, but it's thorough understanding of the topic. And I think it's, yeah, it's you... rare and exciting when you meet other people who have that, you know, and whenever we collide with other consultants who have those that level of deep enthusiasm for what they're doing it really it, it, is, it just it, enriches it everything it's doesn't it amazing moment when you think you know that we're all in it we're all on the same side ultimately and uh, i mean even you know i've been rude about some of the planning officers but but actually the really good ones you know they're all doing that job because they uh love love the they love places they love being they want to make an effect they want to improve things so if you can encourage people to feel that that uh, they're part of something that is that it's going to be positive and that actually it's exciting and, and you know, and actually not, not too po-faced, not too serious. I mean, mm. I can't understand why it is that we're expected to quote back at planning officers what their policies are. <laughs> I mean, they know what their policies are. What's the point of me saying to you, well, your policy 3.7 says that <laughs> this thing should sit well with the landscape and I'm telling you it does. I mean, what's the point of that conversation? You have to make them feel empowered to make that judgment yes. themselves because that's their job. Yes. And part of our thing is I think that we we respect what you and I particularly respect what we each individually might bring to this conversation, but we also go wide more widely than that and we, we have to respect what other people might bring to it. Yeah. Sometimes it's difficult yeah. if you're caught up with individuals who maybe don't quite have that capacity to sort of enjoy that process as much as we would hope that they would. But that is the that is the object. Yeah. And if you can if you can uh, create a sort of positive vision that, that is that is so clear and exciting. It will drive the whole project forward from its first pre-application conversation right the way through to the place when it's completed. Yeah. And it's the same, you know, that was that's when, it, that's when it's a really but, terrific thing. But it is having, to use a terrible word, it is born out of 
a clear vision, isn't it? And I'm st- I am struck by the fact that both you and your sister have chosen very visually oriented paths. I mean, it's, is that something that you had in common when you were little? Because it's, it's expressing itself in completely different ways, but it's still a really deep looking, isn't it? I know. Well, Tasta, of course, um, if I always think of the, of the kitchen knife, and there's a sort of very sharp cutting edge, which is probably where Tasta is. And then there's a very blunt other end, which is where oh, the come along. is. And that's where I slightly feel I, I lie on that. But there is a lot, there is, I mean, I don't know if you've asked her, but I mean, I think there is a, there is, she, in her work, there is a, a sort of appreciation and a resonance of the authentic. And I do mm. see that uh, in her work and I, I feel it in her work. But do you feel uh, in in each other? Is it something that you're familiar? Is it something that grew when you were little? Yeah, there is a there's a a look this looking and seeing. No, there is a there is a there is a sort of DNA link. I can't. You can't put your finger on. Scientifically, but there is a. Well, I'd like to think that there is a very strong DNA link between what we do. I mean, as you say, it manifests itself very very differently, Um, but. I think there is, and also we're very, we're also both very informed by things that happened in our childhood. We had a rather sort of, sort of solitary childhood in some ways. We lived in the remote countryside. I mean, you, you did in some mm. ways also have a rather yeah. remote childhood. I think we're united by that, and and I think that you know boredom. If we had boredom, we didn't have boredom because we just were very happy looking and being and roaming around fields and climbing hay bales and, uh, yeah. and days went by and we saw the light rather like your yeah you know very people similar. in your book you know you talk about you know who remain in one place we didn't go anywhere very much no and there was something and I think that that I think that that is a very important thing and I do slightly worry that you know when I look at my own children and they're sort of endlessly attending to their gadgets and there's sort of endless flood of media into their lives that they don't they don't have that lovely quiet life of time and thinking and smell and wind and sun and letting your thoughts kind of roam around endless gadget stimulation i mean you can go virtually nowhere and not see people sitting on their telephones these days no, it's everywhere, um, isn't it? But I don't know. I think we grew up in a time and in a place, and uh, we're very lucky for that. Well, one thing I was going to say about you know how you can't see what I do and I can't see what you do was when I came round to your house, and you, for reasons that I just... I was absolutely astonished. You showed me your bedroom, and you said, and I'm going to put the bed here. And I thought, hold on a minute, there's a window here. And the bed was going to be staring at a blank wall with a door in it. And I thought, well, what about if you put the bed here and then you'd have this view out of your window all the way down your beautiful garden over the walls to the church? And I thought, I can't believe that you haven't seen it. And I get that kind of blindness in my own house. So I can do these things very easily for, for other, other people. people. 
but I can't do it. Never for yourself. Never for yourself. This is a terrible truth. This is a terrible, (laughs) terrible truth. I'm embarrassed to hear the bed thing. It's shocking. I don't know why my wife didn't kick me hard. But the the thing about your own house is a a terrible blankness. You're overwhelmed by matters of cost and anxiety about... You know, is it going to take time? And all the things you completely disregard for your clients, I might yeah. say. Happily, yeah. Don't worry about how much it's going to cost. Let's get the vision right, you merrily say to them. But yes. when it's your own house, you're completely blinded. I mean, one yeah. of the most shaming things about our house, actually, was that you did come and you immediately said it's an old it's an old um, vicarage building in Sussex. Uh, it has a lovely wall garden and a church at the end of it. And then behind the behind the wall, there was this monstrous yew hedge, yeah. which the previous people have put in to protect, because there's a vicar, the path for the old new vicar, the new vicarage vicar, was was blocked in by this terrible yew hedge to I mean, stop Massive yew hedge. A massive yew hedge. The only <laughs> thing that had grown well in the whole time that it had been there was this enormous yew hedge. And, uh, and a very small vicar. For a very small vicar who had to walk down this tunnel between the wall and this yew hedge so that he would not, or she, would not look over the fields, which was part of the ownership behind. And you said, you shouldn't have that hedge, you just simply get rid of it. It's pointless, it's a division and all the rest of it. And to my eternal shame, it took about three years for me to pluck up the courage to finally say... We've just got to get that hedge down. It's yeah. just too much. And do you know, it has been the removal of that hedge upon your advice. Transformational. Has been one of the best things that we've ever done in that place because suddenly the scale of the wall could be seen. The back of the wall is regained to the field behind. And the and the relationship with the landscape beyond is now but you're possible. On, because but you're on you the crown of the a hill that it was blocking, the crown oh, of that no, hill, and these no, raking no, there views. There you are, you see, there you, see? you are. She knew all of this. And the value is in the view, you know, because yes, yes, how yes. far can you see yes, now? Yes, yes, yes. Well, let's talk about your barn, shall we? Well, I can't <laughs> do a thing with it, as you know. I've moved into a modern, modernist barn, invited you to have a look at it. You told me instantly some very important things about why the stone's pink, and then that's because of the fire. But I still can't do it. I still can't do I'm it. I'm glad you I've can't read- do it. I've redone all the pointing. It's too late. You're never going to be able to do it. It's just better to accept (laughs) that you, you know, we are, we are, we are humans. We have our own limited bandwidth zone, you know, where we (laughs) we can do things. And then we have to accept that we're not experts in everything. And actually, part of part of the best thing about I'm talking about the garden. I can't do the garden. Oh no, you're brilliant at the garden. Oh, you're stuck with the garden. No, I'm stuck with the garden. Perhaps you better get a better sort of. Perhaps you better call on I'm getting, I'm getting our mutual friend Robert Crocker to come and help me because oh, yes. um, I think he, he is going to help me unstick. I've got stuck on, you know what I'm stuck on? Tell me. Well, the German who I live with doesn't yes. like mess, so I'm not allowed to have a compost heap. Oh, and nice. because we have a barnyard and you can see everything, um, he doesn't want to be able to see the compost heap. And it's so I'm paralysed. It's a barn. I'm paralysed by the compost. Tell him it's a barn. You should say, I'm going to order in the lorry with a trailer of dung. I'm going to pile it up outside the front door of the barn because that's what it would have been like in the 1920s. Exactly. And if you owe you to show, in fact, you what you should do is to find an archive photograph of that barn in the 1920s. With a smouldering dung heap. With a smouldering dung heap, (laughs) tatty old wooden doors, piles of sort of chopped down fruit trees and all the rest of it. And some yeoman farmer standing there in a cap with a pitchfork and say, look, this is what we're going to recreate. Here. Exactly. Authenticity. 
and I'm going to have pigs. Yeah, well, you can, you can get him to look after those. <laughs> yeah. not, not like that, oh, so. dear. No, it's difficult. It, it is, is difficult. really difficult with your own houses. I do understand it's, yeah. it's very difficult. We are just limited, but what we must do... But also, how much do we care? I mean, do you care a huge amount about doing stuff for yourself? No, I know you've done quite a lot not. to Asbestos Towers, no. haven't you? But no, I, no, no, no. I mean, no. I, mean, I don't really care terribly. I, I care a lot about other people's things, but I'm quite. I could live quite happily in a in a fairly un, um, yeah, unremarkable I, yeah, no, it's, space. I, it's. I like to feel happy where I am. I like yeah. to have outlook. Yeah. I like to have outlook. So everywhere I've lived, there's been outlook, and everywhere I've been unhappy, there's been less outlook, and um, which is why the hedge thing was so important. But, mm. but the no, is I think as you get older, I mean, it's all part of the. You can't take any of it with you, basically. So no. I mean, mine I have to correct because it's got a cross fall, which might have worked brilliantly when it was a farm, but it's really unpleasant to live on. So I've got to do something to correct it. So those that goes back to these funny feelings, because it is a feeling it thing is. when you first go to a place. Yeah. And if I'd have done it in the first five minutes after we moved in, I would have had still that sort of very visceral reaction to, oh, I, I can't bear this, this is... That no, it's changing this year. No, I couldn't because circumstances were against I know, it. So, I know, and it's really, and it's really very difficult. difficult to get back to it. It's really actually. difficult. That thing with levels of ground. I mean, this is where this is where I really do need you, actually, because I mean, <laughs> those levels of ground thing. So, I mean, our our place also has has a sort of awkward uh, changing of level across its thing, and I, I and you know you can't really do much until the structure of those sorts of things is well, correct. You're, you're wedged into a hill. Wedged into a hill, Aren't and you? it's dreadful wield and clear at that. So it's yeah. sort of in, but all wield and houses were wedged into a hill to keep them from the blizzering cold in winter, and to keep them nice and damp as well. Which is, well, you can't extremely yes. well that too. Can't resist the damp. Damp. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, no, it's um, no. I'm totally 100 percent sympathetic. It's a real nightmare of your own things. Mm. But that's why also it's so nice to escape from where we live and to um, and to just have fun on other people's places. It is. Which is exactly what we do. It is what we do. And may we carry on doing it for a very long time. And thank you ever so much for coming oh, and man. having the chat. <laughs> Thank you for joining me on this episode of What Makes a Garden. If you enjoyed this episode, please like it, leave a review and share with your friends. To find out more, you can head to my website, ginnyblom.com or find me on Instagram at ginny.blom. The book, What Makes a Garden, will be published by Quarto and available to buy online from all good bookshops from the 19th of October 2023. This podcast was produced by Danielle Radoichin at In Talks With, Sound by Warren Borg at Wargie Productions. Original music commissioned by Ginny Blom, composed by Peter John Vitesse and produced by Mark Fox at Re-Record. <laughs>